The Las Vegas Golden Knights are Stanley Cup champions as of last night, approximately 8 p.m. Sam Marjofsky here, News Talk 840, KXNT. You're listening to The What's Right Show. Uh, this hour brought to you by Sam and Ash, Injury Law, 702-820-1234, because you deserve what's right. Uh, Sam here, Marjofsky, Nevada's favorite recovering Californian. I'm sitting there. I'm in I'm in the building. I'm inside T-Mobile Arena watching this game, which as many of you who uh, were no doubt glued to your TVs or perhaps in the building or outside uh, in the area outside the uh, uh, T-Mobile Arena. There, uh, a huge crowd outside watching uh, as well saw that this game was at first pretty tight. It was pretty close. And then the Knights began to dominate. And what I saw was a team that methodically and steadily and consistently destroyed their opponents and broke them. It was, I mean, it was, it was a murder, folks. Uh, that's that's all I can say. Was the, I mean, it was a 9-2 win. So uh, f- just phenomenal to be there in the building. Loved meeting all of you. Uh, tremendous camaraderie. Uh, you know, walking in and out, this was uh, uh, what our uh, our city needed. Uh, not that we needed it, but it's great to have it. It's validating. The national sports media, I know this is a political show. I'm just, bear with me here for a moment. Uh, you know, I don't know how to explain this properly. Many of you listening, because you get the podcast, the What's Right Show podcast, you, you're not here in Vegas, and that's okay because part of, the I think, the joy of this program is you get a little peek into what it's like living in one of the greatest cities in the world. And I'm a, you know, I'm a transplant here. I, I, you know, born and raised, not born, but raised in California, spent most of my life out there and uh, moved out here four years ago, never looking back. I mean, I'm, I'm beyond happy, and I will, I will go – uh, back to California, visit with with old friends and, and a lot of people there that I love, and and I get a little look sometimes. Really, Vegas? Really, Las Vegas? All the places in the world you, you went to Vegas? Hey, conversation, of course. You know, well, it's more than just the Strip. I hate to tell you, if your idea of Vegas is the Bellagio, or I don't know, it's just going to Circa, you know, and, and downtown. Uh, it, that's not Vegas. I mean, it's, it is Vegas, but there's a lot more to the city, a lot more depth, and a lot more community. And one of the things that I absolutely loved is the sense of community at the game last night because it's everything that is great about hockey in the desert, and I love that everyone nationally and the you know, sports media is – Friends, for those of you who are not sports people, I want you to understand sports media that is dominated, for example, by ESPN, that is a completely woke garbage organization, is uh, it, it has the same lack of truth and some biases, if you will, that the political news organizations have, right? 
And it, there's a lot of stink that we get here in Vegas. It's not really a, a, a sports town. Vegas is not a real community. It's, you know, the fans are horrible, whatever. I, none of that I witnessed. None of it. And, um, and we went out to celebrate afterwards, and I, I was at a place where some of the executives from the defeated Florida Panthers were, and I had a, we had a we had a lovely uh, thing occur, which was in our small group. We were we all, we kind of their group got to the uh, to the bar lounge where we were headed at the same exact time. Our two groups, and there was just room for one inside the lounge, and there's some seating outside of it, which I would describe as less premium. So here's what happened: I, I we got there, and they of course knew me. And these these guys are visitors, so you know, and the the gal there. The hostess knows me very well because this is a place I go to quite often. And here's what happened. I walk in and uh, I walk up and she goes, oh, Sam, I'll get you. I said, well, we've got some some people here. Um, I knew there we'd already been talking and knew who they were. And I said, well, you know what? They're, you guys are visiting. You take those spots. You, you take those spots. No, no, no. And back and forth. No, no, no. I insist. You know, welcome to Vegas. This is, you know, you, we are, you are our guests, which is my my approach to it and so they ended up getting the spots in our party i was there with with sherry and and another friend and then ash my my law partner and we're so we're, we're all we all seated outside the area we had a lovely time and, and we're finishing up our drinks and and our waitress that i know comes by and says you know the gentleman in the bar took care of your drinks and everything that i've described to you right there is what i love in life i just love that i love you know, I get fiery here on this program. I like to, you know, I like to get into people's faces and I'll call it out for what it is. But in my private interactions, you know, when I'm dealing with people face to face, I believe in decency and I, I believe in courtesy. And I also believe in Vegas hospitality and treating our visitors well. So that happened and, and, but, and everybody in the room kind of figured out who these guys were and were, I, as best as I could tell, were being very respectful and kind. I loved seeing that. Now, I want to make a point about the victory that is beyond sports and is relevant to business. And hear me out on this because it's really important. Everywhere today in the, well, it's been, as this, as it became likelier that the Knights would win the Stanley Cup, now they won three out of four games. It's best of seven. So you've, you know, you when they were, needed one game to go essentially you know they could have won it in four they didn't they lost one so it was it was three three one nights and last night was the fourth victory so as it was leading into this there's been a lot of media attention to bill foley bill foley is the billionaire owner of golden knights very successful guy very disciplined individual um i have a lot of respect for bill foley and and he was you know pioneer and in, in in the sense that he was the first guy to bring you know, real professional sports to the to the to the valley, to Vegas. And everybody told him it's not gonna work. And there's two things that he said as far as uh, goals for him uh, with this expansion team, with this new team that he created six years ago. It's only been six seasons. And he said playoffs in three, cup in six, and wouldn't you know it, and everybody's focusing on like what did what a what an oracle! What a what a what foresight! It on the sixth year, it came to pass. 
spoken from the mouth of Bill Foley. Here comes the cup. Now, I have a comment to make on this. It's very important, and this is not just about sports, but it is a general thing about life. If you want to be successful, if you want to achieve something, if you want to make it, well, however you define that, however you, you, you frame it, you have to set goals. You have to do it in a personal context, right? You have to say, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of struggling right now. I need to get a certain bit of education or licensing. I'm going to get that done in, you know, is it realistic? Okay, I'm going to get it done in three years. I'm going to set a goal. I'm going to make it happen. You want a promotion? Define what it is and define a timetable that gets you there. Because we as human beings, and that's personally, right? And professionally, organizationally, I can't tell you how important that is. You have to define when things get done by. Small things and big things. Okay, we're, we need this project done. Let's set a deadline for it. I think, I think a lot of people go to school and you know, homework is due on a certain day and they are so allergic to that after they're out of school that then personally and professionally they give up and never go back to that. But it's very important. So what Foley did was he really set it up and and you know and and people are focusing on it being some crazy prediction and isn't it crazy that it came to pass and happened the way it did? And my comment on it is maybe it's the chicken and egg is reversed, right? Maybe the knights, the golden knights achieved what they achieved because the leader of the organization, the owner, the head muchacho goes, we're going to do this. In six years, we're going to have the Stanley Cup. We're going to go all the way. By the way, playoffs in three, you all know the story. The Knights got all the way to the Stanley Cup finals in year one. In year one. So they've been to the playoffs since then. And uh, so that, that, that got checked off the, you know, right, up, right away. But Cup in six, it happened. And my, you know, the takeaway here is, I tell you, you have to lay out a goal. You have to put time on it. You have to figure out when it's going to be happen. And then it's in the back of your head. You know you're working toward it. Everybody knows they're working toward it. And it's vital for organizations as well as it is for us as individuals. Now, I got to take a quick break here. I've got so much to cover. I wanted to get to this, though, because you all know that this has been, you know, I, I love I love I love the Golden Knights. I love the Silver Knights, too, which is why we sponsor them. Uh, Sam and Ash, uh, founding sponsors of the Silver Knights, our AHL team, uh, very critical to uh, our valley here, uh, the city, uh, Las Vegas and Henderson. So, you know, we're big fans. Sam Marjofsky here, News Talk 840 KXNT. I will get to all the stuff that's going on right now uh, when we come back. Don't go anywhere. If you've been in an accident, there's no reason to call a sleazy lawyer. It's not just about the settlement check. It's about representing your interests and your values. So call Sam and Ash at 702-820-1234 or visit samandashlaw.com. Sam Marjofsky here, Nevada's favorite recovering Californian truth teller, lawyer here in town, an all-around great guy, reporting for duty 
here behind the What's Right Show microphone. So as we are speaking here, the folks in Congress are working on screwing Adam Schiff. Now Schiff, you know, he's the guy who, if he showed up here in Las Vegas on your front lawn late at night, you would think, you would think he's uh, extraterrestrial. He's got those wide eyes, uh, buggy eyes, and and just the stare that is, uh, to say the least, disconcerting. Remember that cult? What was it? The Heaven's Gate uh, folks, you know, that down in San Diego, they all took some poison and took a ride to catch a comet. Yeah, he's one of those guys. Anyway, this Adam Schiff, uh, well... We'll see, um, we'll see how this goes. They're voting currently as we speak in Congress whether or not to censure him and to fine him. They want to fine him $16 million, which is about half of what was wasted on the Mueller report. Now, why? For years and years, Adam Schiff is a California congressman, Democrat, head of the Intelligence Committee, had access to all the intel related to Trump-Russia collusion, which, as we now know, was entirely made up by Team Hillary. And he knew that it was made up, and yet he kept going on TV and saying, oh, if you've seen what I see, you would know that there's something here, and it's big. So as a consequence, this sham persecution of Trump continued and wasted a whole lot of tax dollars. And yeah, he ought to be held to account. Now, um, you know, it's, listen, I, I'm seeing where 15 Republicans have voted to table so far. So th- tabling, you know, so I, it, it, it's going to get pushed back, uh, likely. Okay, 223 so far to table, 227. Yeah, so, all right, so this is maybe not going anywhere. But expect drama. So I'm going to fill you in on how this ends up uh, all coming down today. I still, and you know my email, sam at samanashlaw.com, sam at samanashlaw.com, am waiting to hear from a Pence supporter. I'm, every few days we check in on the polling to see how candidates are rising and falling. Some candidates, of course, on the Republican side, very concerned about their poll numbers right now that they not be misstated, particularly not relative to their nearest and dearest opponents. I'm not talking about Trump necessarily, but perhaps I am. But here's my point. Pence is rising in the polls. He's got 4 or 5% or so by the last uh, comprehensive poll taken, which I am astounded by. I'm astounded by it. Now, I, I'm thinking the you got to understand that Pence is literally the worst Republican candidate running and the only candidate on the Republican side that gives Pence a little bit of run for his money has got to be Chris Christie. And that's only because Chris Christie looks like Jabba the Hutt. Pence went today on the radio. He went on, on, uh, went on with Clay and Buck and they kept asking him, well, Clay asked him, he goes, hey, well, tell me about this, you know, tell me about this uh, thing. You know, I'm hearing you're fine with, with, with Donald Trump, you know, 
you know, you see this indictment, it's clearly political. You've said that you think it's political. Would you, would you pardon Trump if you were to become president? I think the way that they exactly framed it was they said, if you were, if you were to become, or assuming, you know, you're president, you get in 2025, January 2025, you take the oath of office, do you pardon Donald J. Trump were he to be convicted? Pence turns into a total worm. Listen. Look, we either believe in our judicial process in this country or we don't. We either stand by the rule of law or we don't. I just uh, – what I would tell you is I think as someone who but has – But what I'm hearing is you're fine with Donald Trump being I put in prison. I had a standard rule. I don't talk about hypotheticals. Look, we don't know what the president's defense here is. I think he's entitled to make his defense, entitled to have his day in court. And uh, look, let's you know, let's take it one step at a time. I think any conclusion by anyone running for the presidency of the United States that would prejudge the facts in this case, or prejudge the investigation into President Biden or his family, is premature. Oh my God! Is this guy running as a Republican? What in the literal hell is this? Let me play that for let me the thing that and then it basically the the exchange ends because they kind of give up on it. I, you know what my immediate reply would be? Okay, you don't want to give me a hypothetical on Trump or whatever. Listen to this. Look, we either believe in our judicial process in this country or we don't. We don't. We don't. I we don't. And I say that I say that almost having a, a mild seizure. Uh, here on the radio, because as a lawyer, I can tell you, and I'll keep saying it over and over again, there is an immense power held by every prosecutor, whether he be in some podunk little backwater town or he be the general attorney, uh, general, the attorney general there. Let me get my brain back on my head. Attorney general of the United States doesn't matter. That person, he or she, has the power to decide who he prosecutes, okay? Who gets charges filed against them? And if they're filing charges against people of one party or people of one race or people of one gender or people that they don't like, and at the same time, not filing I nearly identical charges based on identical facts against people that they do like well i'm sorry that's a problem and we begin to not believe in our judicial process in this country we believe we begin to believe as i do and as you do that in this country one party has ingrained themselves in the system they get to pick the winners and losers and then they take the power of the government of the United States that we have as citizens slowly given them over many years, every time we feel a little bit afraid, every time we feel a little bit worried, we give the feds more power, we give the government more power, we give them more rights, keep us safe, we ask. And they turn that power, they accumulate that, they build it up, and then they wield that power against any one of us that dares to stand up. By the way, Tucker came out with a new uh, episode. I'm gonna play a clip, he is spot on about this. I'll explain.
when we come back. Sam Marjofsky, The What's Right Show, will continue in just a moment. Personal injury law is constantly changing. Uber and Lyft accidents aren't like other cases, but most law firms haven't kept up. Don't trust a new case to a lawyer who's stuck in the past. Call Sam and Ash, 702-820-1234, or visit SamAndAshLaw.com. You're listening to the What's Right Show, coming to you from the entertainment capital of the world, Las Vegas, Nevada, live and local. Here in downtown, I'm looking out my window. It's pretty outside, getting warmer, which I love. It's, you know, we're getting in the summer kind of feeling over here. And uh, after the coldest winter ever, anyway, very happy to be with you, friends. Uh, Today, the 14th of June, is Donald Trump's 77th birthday. Want to wish Donald Trump, former President Trump, a wonderful day. Uh, and um, and that's that. So this, this part of what what happened, by the way, yesterday is is Trump went down to uh, after the indictment, went to a cafe. We'll talk about this a little bit later in the program. And of course, was was serenaded for his birthday. And he kind of winced. He kind of grimaced, and 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 he doesn't like his birthday. You know, a lot of attention for his birthday. I can relate to him on that uh, point absolutely. So I just wanted – didn't want to get too deep into the program here and not mention that it was Donald Trump's birthday today. All right, friends. I, just before the break, played a clip, a exchange that occurred earlier today on the Clay and Buck show, and it was fascinating because they had Mike Pence on. And Mike Pence refused to commit to pardoning Donald Trump. Now, I'll tell you why. Beyond the fact, of course, that Pence is a total shill, right, for establishment politics as usual. Uh, the other part of it is that, and and if you heard the, I played it here on the program yesterday, Vivek Ramaswamy, who is a candidate for the Republican nomination for president, he's a um, very made a very pointed argument in front of the Miami courthouse as Trump's arraignment was underway that the donor class of the Republican Party doesn't want any of the candidates to get anywhere near this. And I I think he's right. I think that they feel that this is as much of a political opportunity. When I say they, I mean the donor class of the Republican Party, the billionaires or multimillionaires that get together and get to pick who's the candidate. They have always been the ones to pick. They've selected the winners. And by the way, in 2016, their selected winner was that dunce, weak brother of former President George W. Bush. Yeah, Jeb, exclamation point. They had to put the exclamation point there just to Kind of a little like Yariba, you know? They had to put it in there just to give him a pulse. Jeez Louise, it was it was embarrassing. Yes, this is when he was selling the... I remember... I, listen, I was on air in L.A. when this was all transpiring, and we would make fun of him day in and day out. We'd make fun of Jeb. And he was the front runner, right? He was the guy who had... 
He had the money. He had all. The, all he had the the polling results. Everybody was everybody in the Republican primaries was like, "Yeah, Jeb, you know, we like George." And the rest of us were just kind of a little bit throwing up in our mouths, just thinking about the idea of another Bush as president. This was like the younger, dumber brother too, to make matters worse. So I'm. I, where am I going with this? All right, so Jeb, right? He was the selected candidate of the donor class in 2016. And what happened? For the first time in my life, in my lifetime, we the people, the grassroots of this country decided who our candidate was going to be. We made the decision for ourselves. We chose Donald Trump. And they hate that we did. And when I say they, I'll make something very clear. The political party establishment of the Republican Party has more in common with Democrats than they do with you and I. That is the dirty secret. And the unfinished business that Donald Trump left you know, behind on the battlefield, so to speak, is a top-to-bottom cleanup, not just of, of the FBI or Justice Department, or other agencies within the federal government that ought to have been done. But the other part of this that needed to happen was a, it was a cleanup of the Republican Party. You know, you'll hear a lot of talk, friends, about how, you know, so what we got, and you'll see this on Fox News, for example. You'll see a guy talking, some talking head, you know, political type, Republican. And you can tell, you can tell by his tie. He's got one of those Brooks Brothers ties, you know, with the stripes that go down. He's got a white shirt on, you know, in a blue suit. And he's, he's, he just strolled in straight from the country club to do an appearance to lecture all of us on how the Republican Party has lost its way. And what he's really saying is that along came the people and he would say MAGA, but I'll say the people. Along came the people, and they hijacked the party. And I'll tell you, I, you know who I want to hear from in this primary in 2024? As we as Republicans select a candidate, and I've got pros and cons for all of them, right? More cons. <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll be honest with you who my, my no-go candidates are. But there are pros and cons for Trump. you got to be realistic about it, right? There are pros and cons. There are pros and cons for DeSantis. There are pros and cons for a guy like Vivek. So this, you got to be realistic. But I'll tell you what I want. I want the people to pick. Because no matter what the libs say about us, we are the party of democracy. We are the party of Vox Populi. We are the party that allows the members of this party to pick their candidates. The Democrats don't allow that. They select their candidates. They let all their, I, I hate to even say this, but they, their foolish disciples go out there every primary and go, I'm going to vote, I'm going to vote. Bernie Sanders, he's my guy. And they just, yeah. <laughs> and it's, and I just, you know, when you know, you know. Listen, friends, I'm, I'm kind of aware of what goes on in this process and how it plays out. And I'm just sitting there watching, and I see these, and the and CNN and Fox News breathlessly covering these early primaries. Oh, it looks, wow, it looks good for Bernie. It looks, 
And then comes in the party machine and just with their superdelegates places their foot on the scale, just a little toe, just places it, and presto, Hillary Clinton is the selected candidate. You think for a minute, I talk a lot about South Carolina, how Joe Biden went to South Carolina and, you know, and, and, and went, to, went to Jim Clyburn and mwah, made him a promise. Just uh, Clyburn, you know, politically speaking, you know, dropped his pants and, 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 uh, and, and Biden, you know, gave him a nice little smooch, promising him a woman of color as his running mate were he to get the nomination. I'm telling you a lot more than that transpired. There was a deal made at that stage in the election, in the primary, because the Democrats wanted to pick their candidate. The party wanted a candidate, and they chose Biden. And now they are coalescing all of them around him. So my answer, right, taking this back to Mike Pence who ought to be, frankly, running as a Democrat. They need some fresh blood over on the Democratic side. So I, I think we just vote Pence off the island and send him off to, you know. He can, he can talk to Marianne Williamson and, and, uh, and, and, and RFK Jr. Uh, look, he, he, I think the answer to him, first off, when he says he believes in our judicial process, he's got to be kidding me. Second, pardons are part of the judicial process. He's a former governor. He ought to know that. So it's very it's a very disingenuous statement that closes ranks. But the reason he is going to be getting traction, the reason he's getting airtime, the reason that he's going to be on TV is because he is going to be, he is the leading establishment candidate. And he cannot, even if he wanted to, and I don't think he wants to, but he cannot get up there and say, yep, I'd pardon Trump, I think. You know, I think what he did was bad. I've read the facts of the case. This is, by the way, what I say all the time. I think facts, the facts are not good for Trump. But they have decided to prosecute. i just give you an example here to give this some context. Trump's faithful valet, a Navy veteran, the guy who is his co-conspirator, indicted co-conspirator in this, this, this mess, he, if, you'll, if you don't forget this, he was indicted. He part of the indictment is making false statements, and the, the it's specifically listed a false statement. "Quote: I don't know." John Brennan, James Clapper, both lied under oath to Congress. Do you know how many times Andy McCabe said "I don't know"? Jim Comey, James Comey, two hundred forty-five times under. Under oath claimed, I don't know. I don't remember. Did he have a stroke? Was he stricken by a convenient and passing case of amnesia? That's what I'm talking about. That's the answer. Mike Pence, when he says, oh, we either believe in our judicial process in this country or we don't. We either stand by the rule of law. Yeah, we... Mike, we as Republicans all stand by the rule of law. We believe in the rule of law. We have to, but we have to have faith that it is being applied equally and evenly. We have to believe in the promise 
that Lady Justice is blindfolded. And that blindfold has to be in place, not just, you know, when it comes to a trial and a jury, but at the point in time that charges are brought. And also at the point in time when charges are not brought, when prosecution is declined. And so these are just the sweet whisperings of our friend, uh, the chosen, the chosen one. And you're going to see polls boost him and, and give him give him air. I, he, there's no chance Mike Pence gets the nomination. Uh, I, I, will, I will eat my hat if it turns out that he does. Sam Marjofsky, News Talk 840 KXNT. You're listening to The What's Right Show, brought to you by Sam and Ash Injury Law. All right, I'm back. Sam here from uh, the What's Right Show. Yes, that is what is on Monday through Friday, 1 to 3 p.m. right here on News Talk 840 KXNT. Great to be with you folks. Yes, I have my voice. Those of you who were worried, I would go to the game last night. I would be there. I would watch the Stanley Cup enter the building, enter the fortress, get, get hoisted up by our Golden Knights. Yeah, I... I don't worry. I did a fair amount of yelling, but I've been warming up all season. So now I'm uh, basically these these pipes are working just fine. Uh, Tucker, yeah, but another episode dropped on Twitter. Uh, by the way, uh, you know you I, I don't know, did I mention this that they Fox News sent him a cease and desist letter. <laughs> they Fox's lawyers are saying he can't do this. And remember I'm I I I I think correctly guessed that in Tucker's agreement with Fox originally when he signed his deal with them to be a host that it it allowed it had a carve out for his social media. And so Twitter's not a channel, it's social media and he's basically putting out clips on his social media account and I, I think I don't think that Fox News can prevent him from doing this. I think it's an end run. Now it it may get litigated. They may claim that he's in breach of contract. They're still paying him. He, of course, has claimed that Fox is in breach of contract. That they are unreasonably withholding release from his contract. That he's tried to negotiate that. So I just want you all to be aware that there is some drama behind the scenes in all of this, but but Tucker basically got a, dropped a dime on the deep state. And he's done this, of course, many times before. Here he's, I, I just got to tell you, I think he's absolutely uh, spot on. And it's stuff that I've been saying, Rush, when he was alive uh, here on the station, he said it all the time. That, that, that you know, the, 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 the powers that be the political establishment, the ruling class, would never be happy just beating Trump. They had to destroy him. I vividly remember realizing this was the case, as you know, I, you know, because we all thought Trump would be elected. Not we. I I had my doubts too, but a lot of people thought, okay, Trump's going to be elected. Let's all coalesce. You know. You know, there's a hundred days, you know, this honeymoon period, you know, we're going to just, you know, be nice to be nice to him. And we're just going to kumbaya and let's see what we can do. Nonsense. Never happened. None of it. Because, because Trump decided 
out of honesty and out of independence and because he you know had uh, this persuasion he decided to point fingers not just at all the democrats but also most republicans so here's a tucker's clip from yesterday dropped on twitter episode three a uh, little snippet of this cable news carried every moment of it live it's unprecedented they told us with what looked like shock but they weren't shocked they knew this was coming everyone who's paid attention knew it was what just happened was always going to happen. It's been inevitable since February 16th, 2016. That's the day Donald Trump made a blood enemy of the largest and most powerful organization in human history, which would be the federal government. And then he goes on to explain that it was the debate where Trump accused Republicans, Democrats, and DC, DC insiders of knowingly lying about weapons of mass destruction in order to justify the invasion of Iraq. Hmm, remember that? Because I do. And one of the things about this that was great is that, you, you know, you can play the tapes. Trump was consistent about this for, for years earlier, even at the time it occurred. He went after the holy grail of the Republican Party. And remember, you know, there was Jeb, exclamation point, Yariba talking about uh, you know how he was going to be a, a, a you know third term for his for George H for George W Bush and perhaps you know uh, yeah a, a fifth no that was one two three there we go fourth term fourth Bush term and there was a, a, a and Trump persuaded people on the Republican side. Many of them who, who, who weren't, you know, who weren't particularly buy into, oh, was it really a big deal here? He persuaded them that it was, that these were lies. And so D.C. made it a mission to get Trump. Here's what Tucker says about that. After that, it was pretty clear that even if he did get elected president, Trump was going to have a very hard time controlling the federal government he was supposed to be in charge of. Most of permanent Washington decided that thwarting Trump was the single most important mission in their lives. And permanent Washington is, read that as deep state, right? Permanent Washington is, you know, I, I, I call it the administrative class. These are people who are unelected. They're in their positions. They are, you know, and in DC, friends, I have to tell you, Trump was an existential threat to each and every of one of them. What did he get, 5% of the vote in DC? in 2020, 5% of the vote in 2020 in DC. It might've even been less. It was very, very small, okay? Because these people do not like him because they thrive regardless of who's in power as long as that Republican or that Democrat plays nice with the bureaucracy. The mission is the bureaucracy. Now, remember, 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 and never ever forget when Schumer explained all the way back, when was this, on the Rachel Maddow show in 2017, this is right before Trump took office. Trump tweeted out something that was well, like mildly critical of, you know, CIA, you know, whatever, intelligence community. And, um, and, and Schumer wasn't really prepped for the question because it happened kind of right there while, while he was on air with Maddow. And so he gave an honest answer. Listen to this. But he's, he's taking these 
shots, this antagonism, yep. this taunting to the intelligence Let me tell community. You, you take on the intelligence community, they have six ways from Sunday at getting back at you. So even for a practical, supposedly hard-nosed businessman, he's being really dumb to do this. What do you think the intelligence community would do if they were motivated I don't know, to? but I, from what I am told, they are very upset with how he has treated them and talked about them. You know, if you love this country, as I do, you don't have to like Trump. But this, what's happening right now, it ought to concern you. It ought to make you upset. And we ought to vote in that way come, well, come November of 24, certainly. All right, let's take a quick break. More on this and other news stories when we return. Sam Arjofsky here, News Talk 840 KXNT. If you've been in an accident, there's no reason to call a sleazy lawyer. It's not just about the settlement check. It's about representing your interests and your values. So call Sam and Ash at 702-820-1234 or visit samandashlaw.com. Well, this is terrible news. Former Marine Daniel Penny has been indicted. This in the chokehold uh, death of Jordan Neely on a subway in New York City last month. A Manhattan grand jury returning that decision just uh, minutes ago. Sam Rajofsky here, News Talk 840 KXNT. You're listening to the What's Right Show, Common Sense Conservatism, Monday through Friday, 1 to 3 p.m. Uh, don't go to New York City, friends. You know, I... <laughs> The Nevada Bar Association, you know, I'm a lawyer here in town, Sam and Ash Injury Law, I'm the Sam. We sponsored uh, part of the conference here, annual conference where we lawyers get together and it's always somewhere different, uh, usually out of state. And this year, uh, later this month, it's in New York City. It's in Manhattan. They rented out a hotel and I'm, I'm helping sponsor it, you know, as a show of good faith to our legal community here in, in Nevada. But I'm telling I cannot, I'm not going. And I decided this, I had, it was kind of, it was getting close to where I had to make a commitment. And I've, I have a lot going on to begin with. And I have this program and I uh, prefer to be here with you guys every day. I've got clients. Uh, that was part of it. But the other part of it, I, why in God's name would I want to go? To New York right now. The entire system in New York is geared to support the criminal. It's an entire ecosystem that is literally in place to um, make my life as a law-abiding citizen less safe. So what am I going to do? I'm going to fly, what is it, four hours or whatever to get to New York City. And then just, you know, you know, hang out in the hotel with a bunch of lawyers. Oh, goody. That sounds like fun. Yeah, I'd rather eat shards of glass. So I decided uh, not to do that. But but a huge part of the, th the thing is, is, is New York. I have to go. I have to get um, I have to get something renewed at a, at a consulate uh, that happens. The closest one is in San Francisco. I have to go there. Uh Soon, I look in the next few months, and I'm just I am dreading the trip to go to San Francisco, just for the privilege of being able to step over people who are passed out from fentanyl. And as I'm passing over them, I'll probably end up stepping in their excrement. 
And that's, that's what these cities have turned into. I don't know if you saw the story up. Where's I've got it in my stack of stuff. Hold on. It's here. It's about hotels. Here we go. Sorry, it's live radio, folks. It's not perfect, but it's the best I've got. San Francisco's once thriving hotel market is suffering its worst stretch in at least 15 years. Pummeled by the same forces that have emptied out the city's office towers and closed many retail stores. It goes through, there's been a number of high-profile, expensive, nice hotels that are going belly up. Now, you can... Economists will look at this. Well, it's the economy. You've got you've got money shifting around post-COVID convention traffic. I'll tell you why. Hold on, this is fun because we get cited. Las Vegas pops up in the story, and it's. I think if I remember readings, I read this. This was two days ago, and I had I had it all prepared for for a show two days ago, but it didn't come up because we had other weightier things to talk about on Monday. But here's what it says. San Francisco's hotel market is also heavily dependent on, wait for it, convention travel. And, by the way, this is the understatement of the century. And concerns over public safety are prompting groups and associations to shift their business to markets like Las Vegas. That's us, said Michelle Russo, chief executive of Hotel Ave, a consulting firm. Okay. Um, (laughs) This is great. Uh, We are benefiting from cities like San Francisco who have decided to let their, their streets turn into garbage. Now, why is this relevant um, to this case in San Francisco? I would say, excuse me, New York city. Daniel Penny, you'll remember he was the Marine. He was, I think, visiting town. He's on the subway. Neely, the crackhead, is shouting at people. He's ready to die, and he's, like, lunging at them and everything. And this guy, good Samaritan, comes along, puts Neely in a chokehold, and Neely tragically passes away as a consequence of that. Those are, I think, undisputed facts. But because... Benjamin Race Bader Crump turned up, you know, the lawyer. Yeah, I know. He's a he's an injury lawyer. What can I tell you? You know, I'm 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 one of them too. I just happen to be common sense and conservative. So anyway, Crump shows up and this race is racism. It's a white guy on a black dude. It's the end of the world. And so Penny gets sacrificed. Yet another guy who gets sacrificed at the altar of racial politics. It's despicable. It's a travesty of justice. So, uh, you know, it's, it, it's, it's just, I, we, we're going to, we'll follow this case. I, I mean, I hope he gets acquitted. This is just absolutely awful. But I, I kind of, it's New York, you know? I, I, I doubt it. These people are bananas. So speaking of a travesty of justice, remember, at the same time that Trump is getting every agency examining every nook and cranny of his life, basically from January 2017 on, if if it didn't begin already earlier, right? And for years, they got nothing, right? Along Trump-Russia, nothing. Ukrainian phone call, nothing. 
financial crimes at Trump Org. Oh, you know, they got the CEO for what? Taking some personal expense items and writing those off? Tuition for employees' kids, car payments? <laughs> you look at any private family-run business, you're going to find some, some, some billing on there, some dinners, <laughs> some dinners and some, some, some travel that got written off. And in any normal world, that's that's a slap on the slap on the hand. You, you got caught. Now you're paying. Uh, you know you're paying the penalty. You're paying the past tax penalties and interest. Boom, done. But because it's Trump, they had to they had to find somebody to to frog march. You know, uh, into prison. So poor Alan Weiselberg goes to goes to Rikers, and it just went on and on and on until these stupid documents that Trump wouldn't give up and played around, horsed around with them because he's sick and tired of these people. You know, by the way, the longer I get on the story, the more sympathy I am getting for what Trump did. I'd be sick and tired of these fools to begin with. NARA, the agency responsible for maintaining presidential records, has never sent a subpoena, never demanded records be returned from Republicans or Democrats in years prior. But they decided to go after Trump. They decided to push us. They decided then to sick the Justice Department on them. And it was all collusive. And then at the very same time, by the way, this is the FBI that is running interference for Biden. I mean, can I give you another example of this? Can I just, can I remind you of the spring of 2020? Ashley Biden, deeply troubled, troubled daughter of Joe Biden, moves out of her Delray Beach, Florida house. Uh, it wasn't even her house. It was her friend's house. So somebody then finds her diary and puts it up on the market. Now, I don't know that that's necessarily a criminal act, right? You find something that's left behind in the house, it's... It's, there's no special law attaching to diaries. You know, finders keepers. Sell it to Project Veritas, 40K. In the diary, she writes, and again, we don't know if this is truthful or not, but it's what she's writing in her diary. And this family is messed up, right? The Bidens are a clown show of a family. Hypersexualized at a young age, she writes. What does this do to? Was I molested? I think so. Can't remember specifics, but I do remember trauma. I remember having sex with friends at a young age. Showers with my dad, paren, probably not appropriate. That was in the diary. What happened? I just want to remind you, what happened to that? The FBI did what? They, they raided, they raided Project Veritas. They seized the diary. They ran interference. When I call the FBI, Biden's and the Democrats' private goon squad, I mean it. I don't throw around stuff here on this program. I'm not, I'm not one of these uh, blowhard radio talk show hosts. Words matter. This is, this is Gestapo tactics and, and, and politicized tactics. The act affirmatively to protect their guy, who is Joe Biden. And then there is a document that we find out late last week exists that has a, a, a trustworthy source of the FBI going, he's on tape, 
excuse me, he's on the record. He's got a, what was it, the 1023 form? He's, he's submitted, he's a known and reliable informant that the FBI has used multiple prior investigations. And he goes on the record to say to the FBI, I, I know that Joe Biden received bribes from Burisma directly, that he was aware of it, and of course facilitated by Hunter. And they bury it. And right as that information is coming out and about to hit the fan, that's when the special counsel drops his indictment, waits for that moment to decide to uh, file his indictment with the court and, uh, and, and haul in Trump. Guys, this isn't about, again, I am uh, perfectly capable and willing and will, trigger warning, will criticize Trump. But this is actually bigger than Trump. I mean, this is really shady stuff, and there are too many coincidences to ignore. And by the way, that document, they're still playing hide the ball with it and denying that they obstructed justice. I'll play for you. Yeah, there's a – Hawley had, had, had a de- deputy director of the FBI cross-examining him, well, questioning him in uh, testimony. The, the guy, You can tell the guy is weaseling his way out of it. He has no answers. I got to take a quick break. I'll get to that when we come back. You do not want to miss it. Sam Rajofsky, News Talk 840 KXNT. I'll be back in a moment. Sam Rajofsky, News Talk 840 KXNT. You're listening to the What's Right Show. I just want to add up all of these circumstances where the FBI and the intelligence community helped Biden. Right, it's not just the Ashley Biden uh, diary story, right? Where the bi- diary is, you know, she's writing in there. I used to shower with my dad. And now I'm a whore. Um, FBI shows up at v- Project Veritas headquarters, a journalist organization, and confiscates the document. The Hunter Biden laptop. The FBI shows up at the uh, shop where it's held. Goes to the owner, John Paul Mac Isaac. Uh, this is uh, December 2019. During, right, during the election, goes to recoup the laptop following a subpoena. Agent, according to Isaac, says, it is our experience that nothing ever happens to people who don't talk about these things. And then when it all comes out, right, Michael Hayden, CIA director, begins soliciting signatures from current former intel officers and agents to declare Russian disinformation. Uh, and Tony Blinken, who's secretary, said it was all behind this. It was all documented. We know this now. They know it was real. They lied to us. The gun case, Hunter Biden's gun case is going no- nowhere. He, was, he, 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 he had a gun. He was a, a, a prohibited person. Any other person would have federal charges based on, uh, as a consequence of this. And we now know that that investigation was suppressed. We know the IRS investigation was suppressed because we have whistleblowers who have come forward Saying this, but so so, do not talk to me about no one is above the law. That is a dumb a money money argument. It will go nowhere with me. Nowhere. It's BS. Now, Hawley, uh, Senator Hawley, uh, had a little exchange uh, in the um, in the Senate with the deputy director of the FBI. And this was yesterday in a Senate Judiciary hearing. Paul Abadi, I believe is how you pronounce it, FBI Deputy Director, regarding the 1023 form uh, that is 
one of the most important of all of these, forget the diary, forget the laptop, forget all, we have a document from a reliable FBI informant saying that Joe Biden accepted bribes as vice president. This is a crime that he ought to be in prison for. And the FBI has hidden it, has secreted it away. Listen to this. It's outrageous. So, okay, so now we've confirmed that the document exists. That's progress because the FBI director initially denied that it exists. Why did he do that? We, we have already and previously acknowledged the existence of the documents. Yeah, after you first denied it. Right, the FBI director, let's just get the record straight. The FBI director initially said it doesn't exist. Then Senator Grassley said, I've read it. Then he said, oh, okay, well, gotcha. I guess it does exist. Now you're going back and forth with members of this committee, what's in it. Why don't you just release it? Is it classified? The document is not classified. Okay. Will you commit to releasing this unclassified document that alleges that the President of the United States has taken $5 million or more in bribes from a foreign nation? Uh, no. Well, we can't. We can't because of reasons. So then um, you still won't come into the release. Listen, it's unclassified. Don't you think the American people have a right to see it? You can redact the source's name. We do this all the time. In some instances, Senator, and I know you know this, that is not sufficient to protect people. And that's what we strive and work to do each and every day. And I hope you would take that seriously, too. Oh, I take it very seriously. But I also take seriously the fact that your institution has repeatedly abused its authority has repeatedly targeted political opponents. Your institution is the one that went to the door of pro-life protesters with SWAT teams to try and intimidate people because of their speech. Your institution is the one that treated parents as domestic terrorists because of their speech. Your institution is the one that, according to the court, the FISA court, ran 278,000 unwarranted, probably illegal queries on Americans, right? Right. Bingo, and at the same time, running interference for Joe Biden and the Biden family. When you start to add this all up, do you see how it stinks? Do you see how gosh awful all of this stuff is in its totality? I, I'm not even, listen, I'm not even getting at it. Again, remember, how many times did I tell you, how many times did I tell you that James Comey answered under oath, I don't know, I don't remember. 245 times. And yet they indict, indict Walt Nauta, Trump's valet, a Navy veteran, because he said, I don't remember, and they, they think that he did remember. Isn't that scandalous? But it's not just that. There are other people that got caught up this way, Right? I mean, George Papadopoulos, the Trump uh, aide, was convicted of making a trivial false statement about the date of a meeting. Roger Stone was convicted of obstruction. And this was long after the special counsel knew as a matter of fact that there was no Trump-Russia conspiracy. And none of it impeded anything. Michael Flynn, same thing. False statements led to a conviction. Even as McCabe himself that lying skunk acknowledged to the House Intelligence Committee that agents who interviewed him did not believe he intentionally misled them. Mm. And then there's the media. I mentioned to you yesterday, Newsbusters uh, carried over the four days uh, surrounding the Trump, both the Trump indictment and news that there was a tape 
of Joe Biden acknowledging bribe money. Literally audio of that. In the four days where all of this news was dropping, the big three, ABC, CBS, NBC, had a total of 291 minutes of coverage dedicated to the Trump indictment. Exactly zero minutes and zero seconds dedicated to the news on Joe Biden. I'm telling you, I am mad as hell. You ought to be too. I, in fact, I know you are. And this has to end. And and any I mean, got anybody in the Republican Party thinking about voting, Mr. I believe in the system, Mike Pence, needs to have their brain examined. You guys are delusional. Please do not listen to me. And do not listen. I'm gonna this program is not for you. Okay? Go find a different place. I don't know if you're gonna listen to radio hosts telling you not to listen to the program, but that's what you just heard here. Okay. Uh, Ash from Sam and Ash Injury Law here next to discuss a couple of things. Don't go anywhere. I'll be back in a moment. Personal injury law is constantly changing. Uber and Lyft accidents aren't like other cases, but most law firms haven't kept up. Don't trust a new case to a lawyer who's stuck in the past. Call Sam and Ash, 702-820-1234 or visit samandashlaw.com. All right, folks, welcome back. You're listening to The What's Right Show, brought to you by Sam and Ash, Injury Law, because you deserve what's right. 702-820-1234, 702-820-1234, or visit samandashlaw.com. With me today, because it is Wednesday and we try to, whenever possible, have Ash Watkins of Sam and Ash Injury Law here with us in studio my law partner and great friend, Ash, welcome to the program. Thanks. And Always ha- fun. <laughs> and happy Wednesday. I know you might be a little, what's the word? Uh, your your voice might be a little depleted today. Oh, yes. Very depleted. We were both at the game. I already talked about this a little bit at the top of the one o'clock hour, but what did, I mean, how can you describe last night? Oh, it was so unifying. You know, the Golden Knights, the whole playoffs, it's been unite the realm, meaning unite, you know, our community, our fan base. And really on the game five, the first opportunity for us to actually take home the cup, all the fans were truly in great spirits, high-fiving strangers that you had never met. Because, I mean, I was in a different location than I normally am, so I didn't know any of the ticket holders around me, which often happens with the season seats, and it was so fun. It was it was great, and I, I, I mentioned that too. Now, uh, the moment the Stanley Cup, which is, <laughs> by the way, if you haven't seen it, it's big, it's silver, and it weighs... 36 pounds. 36 pounds, baby. And so I'm bringing this up because describe the moment of of the cup entering the fortress. Unlike anything I ever expected it to be. I I was blown away. I told you this story after the game. I was waiting outside the restroom for a friend, and there was this older gentleman, about 80 years old, and he was wearing no Golden Knights gear but a hockey jersey and a Canucks uh, hat. And I said, okay, who are you rooting for? And he said, oh, the Golden Knights, but... I've been a fan in watching hockey since I was 11 and going to NHL games, and I've never seen the cup in person. So that night was, and he was getting all teary-eyed, so I was just so excited when I saw it. I go, this might be the only chance I actually see it. I know. Being hoisted. I mean, it goes around on tour, and you can go and see it, and that's 
you can track it down, I guess. But the moment it gets hoisted by a team, that's really exciting. And so I'm lucky. I don't think I have ever seen a, um, a, a finale to a championship match like this. I've never been to a, I've never been to a Super Bowl. Have you? No. No. Yeah. So this, there's just something I'm about the commercials. Yeah. There, there's something about seeing champions succeed and that, that excellence. And then also, of course, the fact that this is Las Vegas and that we, we, we did it. We did it in six years. And I talked about that in Bill Foley and what that, what that means and how important goals are. So uh, speaking of momentous events, today is Donald Trump's birthday, 77 years old. Yesterday, he was serenaded at a restaurant in Miami. Now, you and I were talking about it this morning, and I found out something that I didn't know. You were there. I was there. I mean, not at, not yesterday. No, not yesterday. But you've been to this restaurant, and I want you to sort of set the scene a little bit because I'm looking at the videos, and I I remember yesterday on air, as it's happening, I described to everybody, I said, the, the scene here is, you cannot believe the amount of love that he's getting. Seems like pretty tight quarters. Describe the restaurant really fast. I'm kind of, I'm, I loved your description of it, how really authentic it is, how Cuban it is, what kind of people go there. I mean, set the scene for us a little bit. Yeah, so I was in Miami. We made a trek to go to Little Havana, Calle Ocho, and our first stop was Cafe Versailles. And to get the little cortaditos. You go in, it's a very understated restaurant, large restaurant with a small bakery cafe on the side. Friendly, so friendly, so welcoming. I mean, I I don't look like a local. I'm blonde hair, tan, cute, you know, and I, and just, I don't look like little Havana residents. And they were so happy. They let me speak Spanish, order my drinks. They were like hugging us. They were giving us extra drinks. They just, it was really a great representation of their community, of the Cuban community. And I didn't want to leave. My group had to like drag me out of there because there was a, a little table of all of these older gentlemen from their, dressed in their Sunday best with newspapers talking about current events. Old school. Old school and just classy. So Trump goes into this cafe. By the way, I, I, I know this is radio, so we, it's the theater of the mind. Yes. But I can I can play audio. And here's a scene at Versailles, by the way, carried, uh, carried by a number of networks because it was the first time that Trump was speaking after the uh, indictment, after his arraignment uh, at the courthouse across the street. So here, here's the scene. Food for everyone. Food so he's ordering food for people. I love it. They start singing happy birthday to him. He gets embarrassed. And it's packed. And these people love him. Yeah. And, and and I, they are, I mean, and, and back me up on this. I mean, you've seen the videos too. They're predominantly Hispanic. The left would call these folks minorities. Um, so, of course, you know, the scene here is very, um, what am I going to say? How might I describe this? Uh, incongruent when, you th- when you're presented with, if you are an MSNBC viewer, right. okay, and you're used to uh, hearing day in and day out what a racial bigot Donald Trump is, and all of a sudden he's going into your favorite Cortadito Cafe oh. in 
in in in little Havana, and he's beloved, beloved, right by uh, by everybody there in the room. Um, and that wasn't planned, right? That wasn't. This is this is an, an organic event that occurred. So, uh, you know, it, it, when you're seeing the scenes, I mean, what, what what you know, what's your reaction to it? When I first saw it, I was blown away and not surprised in the same vein. I they're a hardworking, honest catholic centric community and they i respect people that reward hard workers and are principled on family unity and stand up for the country they're very while yes they're cuban pride they're very much on the cuban american so they're very usa oh uh, yeah uh i no i i you know remember these these people in literally in little havana are mostly cubans they are people who have fled a despotic communist regime. There are people in Miami also from countries like Venezuela, also not known for its open society and democratic values. And they're looking at this. These, these are people that are they're, – they're not following the democratic talking points. By the way, I thought it was hilarious on MSNBC. I'm going to play this for you. Joy Reid uh, is talking to Rachel Maddow. And she is complaining about speaking of Miami and speaking of these Catholic families with these family values, Hispanics, right? Spanish speakers. They're apparently, and you'll be shocked to hear this, Ash, there was a lot of language disinformation going on. I'm going to play the tape. On your point of disinformation, I checked in uh, with my best source on this in Miami who said that in language radio, Spanish language radio was on fire today. And this person's quote was, it was as, it was as bad as it's ever been and worse. That they were on fire pumping out the propaganda, that Donald, the disinformation that Donald Trump is being railroaded by Joe Biden, uh, the individual who embraced, physically put her arms around Donald Trump at Versailles, uh, referred to the current president as a pedophile. Oh, can you imagine? <laughs> They're, the beauty of this is, is these folks have no idea what Miami's all about. Now, I, I, I want to play. I, I mean, it's just, it's funny. Oh, completely Unreal, out of yes. touch. So, so the, these are minorities that are they're off the Democrat plantation, and, and Democrats don't even know how to assess it. It's disinformation. They're lying to them. Yeah, well, that's I think what MSNBC does to liberals day in and day out. So then, uh, so as this scene is happening, I, I just, I had to get to this. It's so funny. CNN, Jake Tapper is covering it, right? And Jake Tapper just is seeing this event unfold and he is triggered to the point he starts yelling at his people to turn it off. This case isn't going to be settled legally in a cafe. It's going to be settled in the court based on the, the facts and law. The folks in the control room, I don't need to see any more of that. He, this, he's trying to turn this in. He's trying to turn it into a spectacle, into a campaign ad. That's enough of that. We've seen it already. He's running for president, Jake, number one. He's trying to turn it into a campaign spectacle. Screw you. But second, I want you to give me a lawyer's answer. Having actually tried case, I want you to tell me. Answer Jake Tapper. This case isn't going to be settled legally in a cafe. It's going to be settled in a court of law. Oh, no, it's going to get settled in a cafe. Um, well, no. Well, where, where are the jurors sitting? Yes, that's exactly what they're 
ignoring is he's going out and shaking hands of every potential juror. He is showing and making scenes and going out on this tour so that, you know, they play it on TV. Future jurors see that. They are realizing that he's not the monster that they're trying to argue that he is. So absolutely, these cases do get settled outside of courtroom if you have the better PR campaign all the time. Um, I, I mean, I mean, look, there's no doubt that at some point, 12 human beings are going to be sitting in that jury, jury box and deliberating on this. Mm-hmm. How many of them need to vote on account in order to have it stick, right? To vote to convict. How many, how many does the prosecution need? Simple question. Yeah, it's unanimous. It has to be unanimous. All he has to do is, you know, he's got to win one person over on gotta that jury. Got to hold out, just one hold and I, I mean, the, 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 this is, I, I, to me, the toughest thing that the, uh, that the prosecution has here uh, going for it is, is the venue. It's the toughest thing. It's not Judge Eileen Cannon. It's not, it's not the strength or whatever the case. It's the people on the jury. Um, and, and to anybody who disagrees with me, I submit to you the O.J. Simpson case where the guy we all knew was guilty as sin – and a jury decided they weren't gonna, they just weren't gonna do it. They weren't gonna go on with it. They were gonna let the let, let him off because hashtag racism. So, I mean, then there's lots of other examples. I actually wanna ask you a very important legal point because I've heard this thrown around. If you can stay through the break, can you stay for a couple more minutes? Yeah. Okay, I wanna ask you about jury nullification. Okay, uh, and it this is, it's a, if you haven't heard what this is about, it's very important because it's been thrown around as something the jury could do to the prosecutor here in this case if they really do not like the whole setup of this case. It's important, so I want to get your notes and your thoughts on this. Folks, don't go anywhere. I've got Ash from Sam and Ash Injury Law, of course, my, my law partner and good friend here in studio with me. It's great to have you listening. Uh, I've got a few more minutes. Hang tight. Ash will be back. Don't go anywhere. The What's Right Show will continue. Sam Marjofsky here. You're listening to the What's Right Show, brought to you by Sam and Ash, Injury Law, 702-820-1234. Friends, I just wanted to update you on a story I was covering earlier in the program. 20 Republicans crossed the aisle and voted with Democrats, ending the resolution to censure Adam Schiff. So it's over. He's not going to get any punishment, no accountability, because again, Republicans are failing us. I'm going to put a list of the 20 rhinos up on my Twitter here, at What's Right Sam, so you can see this. Now, speaking of Twitter, um, <laughs> let's see. I just saw this. I, we got a tweet. Uh, yeah, uh, Utah Desert Rider. Uh, KXNT, What's Right Show, Odyssey. Sam, love the show. Um, uh, telling me a friend uh, told me to say hi. Uh, I love it. Glad to have you listening. appreciate you, and uh, we are enjoying doing this. Now with me here is Ash from Sam and Ash Injury Law, the one and only. You've seen her and I on perhaps one or two billboards around (laughs) Las Vegas. I apologize. And we all know who the better lawyer is and also the better looking lawyer and all around better human being, I would say. (laughs) I'm just, you know, I'm just a guy here on the radio. Anyway, Ash, great to have you with us. Of course, always fun. So just before the break, I asked you about something. I dropped this on you. 
-hmm. no preparation. I, I wanted to ask you about jury nullification because I'm seeing it come up a, uh, a few times in discussions. And I think people, as this case against Trump is going to progress, are going to see it mentioned uh, in media and on social media and posts and whatnot. What is it and how is it relevant here? Jury nullification is a way for an individual who's on a jury to push back and show disapproval for the laws in action. Basically, in the face of evidence proving guilt, enormous evidence proving guilt, they will still render a not guilty verdict because they don't like the law that's being applied. Some common examples are death penalty. Here is the law on death penalty. If you find A, B, and C, he is sentenced to death. They will find A, B, and C, but they don't believe the death penalty should be a proper punishment. So they will still not approve the death penalty. Another one that's very recent is in DUI for marijuana use. A lot of people will still understand these are the laws in the books, but we don't agree with them, so not guilty on that charge. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's legal. Uh, a guy recently, I think, won a court case for standing outside of a courthouse uh, in New York, passing out flyers, just telling people to Google jury nullification, and he won. And so it's, it's fine. The only thing is you can't do it for a specific verdict, a specific case. You can inform a juror that they have that right. Right. So the thing... The, so the way I way I understand it is that there could be a single juror yes. here who who believes that, for example, the Espionage Act, which mm -hmm. forms the basis of thirty one of the most serious counts that Trump is facing, that it's a that it's a bad law, yeah. and he dis fundamentally disagrees with the Espionage Act, and consequently. Um, you know, I he would he would say I I vote not guilty, not because there hasn't been a, a factual finding on my part of guilt, but because I I I uh, philosophically or 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 on what whatever base personal right. basis disagree with the Normally law. Normally, a jury is saying yes, prosecutor. Here's the law. You've proven you've provided enough evidence to meet your burden of proof, and so here is a guilty verdict. In jury nullification, a juror goes, yes, prosecutor, you've met your burden of proof to show me enough evidence that so-and-so violated the law, but I don't like the law, so not guilty. Yeah, and, and just to, I, I, I should mention, right, that in, in trials, when you go to court, like, for example, if you get called to jury duty, you, you, they'll tell you your, your job as a juror is to determine what, what the facts. The court tells you what the law is. And what a lot of judges don't like, they don't like jury nullification instructions or information being given to jurors because you know, they, they, they want to control the process. But the fact of the matter is, is that constitutionally, a juror has the right to say, yes, I'm assigned to figure out what the facts are. Yes, the judge is informing on what the law is. And I can agree that the facts fit the definition of the law for a guilty uh, verdict, uh, but I can still decide to uh, to to not to vote not guilty on the basis of not liking the law. Yeah, absolutely. It's a very powerful tool. You know, you vote political leaders into office and if they start drafting and enacting laws that don't jive with your beliefs, the only 
remedy you really have before voting them out is to nullify any of the verdicts related to those laws. So mm-hmm. I am all for it. Yeah, I'm not sure you can in voir dire. I'm not sure you can raise it in voir dire. I don't think you can eliminate jurors on the basis of it. I think that's that's the only that's the only caveat. And voir dire, by the way, is jury selection. When you're when when you have the opportunity as a lawyer to question individual jurors. Um, again, I mean, we're civil lawyers, so we don't we don't deal with a lot of this this stuff. But I know you you you've, you've practiced some criminal law in the past, so. Uh, this is not something uh, – but I'm telling you, it's, folks, I, I try to here on this program get ahead of information, get ahead of stuff, and it may very well be that when we fast forward to the end of this case and we're talking to the holdout jurors, they're going to uh, – they, they, they may actually come out and say that this was something that was on their mind. So uh, could could very well happen. Anyway, um, Ashley, thank you so much for coming in. It's always – delightful to uh to talk to you i could say the same (laughs) i'm kidding i'm kidding i'm joking i'm joking uh it's always fun thank you well uh when does uh hockey season start back up again i'm not ready i need a nap i know i know we need to all catch up on sleep but anyway but thank you so much for being with us and and friends listen uh I, i tell you this as i know many of you are conservative many of you are very conservative which we love and appreciate and one thing that you got to let your, your conservative friends and family know is don't put your trust in these insurance companies. They're all, well, they're, they're all pretty, some of them pretty woke. Trust me, they're following their ESG ratings. Trust Sam and Ash Injury Live. We'll help you out, give you advice. We don't even need to necessarily represent you, but we're a good sounding board. 702-820-1234. And friends, I will be back uh, tomorrow. Looking forward to it.